morning. Good to see each of you. I trust you've had a good week in the Lord. We appreciate you joining us this morning. I appreciate those who are joining uh, via our internet uh, stream uh, this morning. And I pray that as you've come, you'll just uh, steal your heart and steal your mind. That's the Lord to work today and just to help you to focus in uh, today. And I know that things are different this year in our Christmas season, uh, but Jesus is the same. The Word of God is still the same, so we can still have a great and a special Christmas as we really memorialize uh, what Christmas is really all about. So let's go to the Lord in prayer now and ask for his guidance and his leadership over this service and over our lives together. Father, thank you for this day. God, you have made it, and we're rejoicing in it. Father, we pray for uh, medical needs that are represented in our church family uh, today. God, we pray for Brother Gary Sibley, and pray, God, you'll just touch his body according to your perfect will and the power of your working in his life. Be with his family. We pray for Miss Cynthia, a need that she has this morning in her life. Pray your perfect will would be done. Father, pray for others who are dealing with challenges and adversity. God, we pray for those in this Christmas season who this is the first Christmas that they have faced uh, without a loved one. We pray that the peace that passes all understanding that can only be known through Christ will rest upon them uh, during these days. And God, they'll still choose joy. And Lord, they'll worship you uh, for the great gift that you sent in the giving of your son. Father, pray for the needs that are represented spiritually here, those who are listening today uh, live, those who are listening to rebroadcast. We pray for those who've never been saved, who've never received God's great gift, that they'll turn today and by faith they'll receive Jesus Christ to be Lord of their life. And God, help us who have received that gift to push away apathy and indifference and to be diligent in what you've called us to do, and that is to share Christ with others that they might receive what we have received, and that's redemption from the penalty of our sin. God, I pray that as we sing within our hearts this morning uh, these songs of, of Christmas that take us back to other days. Our minds are filled with memories of days gone by. Father, I pray that we'll just worship you in spirit and in truth, and you'll be honored and you'll be glorified by all that's said and all that's done in this place today. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Bless God. Let's all stand. Joy to the world.
Gracious to come sing. So Jesus was born and wore a crown of thorns and gave it all up just to save us.
Ross, thank you for that uh, this morning. Wasn't that wonderful? Give the Lord a hand again this morning for their faithfulness. We find in your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Genesis this morning. The book of Genesis, chapter 3, we'll begin to read in verse number 1 this morning. And on this Sunday before Christmas, I want to speak to you on this subject, the perfect gift. The perfect gift. Genesis chapter 3, and we'll begin to read in verse number 1 this morning. When you found that, I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Genesis chapter 3, beginning to read in verse number 1. The Bible says these words, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the midst, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam, and he said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to with me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all cattle more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Verse 21. And Adam, and for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin, and he clothed them. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit would speak to us and would challenge us today. God, I pray with all the distractions that are in the world and in our culture and our community and in our lives, Father, that you would just steal our focus on them. And Lord, you would help us to turn it toward you and toward your word. And God, I pray if there's one here or one listening this morning who never by faith has received the gift of eternal life that can only be found through a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that you've ever given to this world and will ever give. I pray that that person will turn and trust Christ today. And Father, I pray that in these days which can lead a believer to become bitter and even depressed about all that's in the world and all that's around us and the direction that we're going. Father, I pray that we will push away that apathy and indifference. God, we'll be found faithful and well-doing, sharing with others what you have done for all mankind through your amazing grace. Bless this time that your will be done in our hearts and lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. Remember that in chapter 1 of the book of Genesis, we see the six-day account, literal six 24-hour days in which God created the heavens and the earth. And then on the seventh day, he saw that all was good and he rested. Chapter 2 is an amplification of the sixth day. And we see God making Adam. And we see that he made for Adam a helpmate. Verse 28 says God's mission for Adam and his new wife was that God blessed them. Chapter 1, verse 28. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish and over the sea and over the birds of the air and over every 
living thing that moves upon the earth. And so all of the garden, all of the earth from the North Pole to the South Pole, it all belonged to Adam and to Eve. The animals and the earth, God gave to him to be a blessing, to use. And, you know, we're seeing a reversal of that today. There are many that push that man exists for the earth. But, friend, I want to remind you, while we're to be a good steward of the earth, the earth exists for man. And I want to share with you, friend, the earth's not going to burn up until God says it's time to burn up. Uh, you can burn all the gas and fossil fuels you want to, and we need to be good stewards. But, friend, Mother Nature's not in control of the earth. Father God is. And he gave it to mankind that we might be a place that we would be able to fulfill his mission. But there was one rule that God gave Adam and Eve. Verse number 17 of chapter 2. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat of it. For the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so God gave Adam the earth. He gave Adam all the animals. He gave Adam a wife named Eve who came from his side. But he also gave a rule that they were not to eat from one tree of the garden that was in the midst of the garden because there was a penalty. The day that they ate of it, they would surely die. And so from our chapter this morning, chapter 3, we see the promise of the perfect gift, the greatest gift that God ever gave mankind. Let's look what happened in just a normal, everyday experience that would take place uh, in Adam's life and then how uh, Satan would enter in. First, I want you to notice this morning concerning this perfect gift that God gave all mankind. That I want you to notice first, Adam's sure guilt. Adam's sure guilt. Look what the Bible says in verse number 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Satan chose in the form of a serpent. Uh, and again, I'm one of those that just thinks there's only one kind of good snake, and that's a dead snake. And uh, I know that they eat mice and other things, but, you know, I'll put out poison or a trap uh, for the rats. And, uh, but I'm not a fan of snakes. I know some of you are, Brian Cannon, and I don't understand, uh, you know, why anybody would, would do that. If I touch a snake, I want it to be with the end of a hoe or a shovel or a walking stick. Uh, but that's how Satan chose to come very subtly. And friend, I want to remind you, we're being comical a little bit talking about snakes, but there's nothing comical about this. Satan enters into your life very subtly. There's never an explosion or a bold announcement. Uh, respond to this false doctrine. Yield to this temptation. And you're going to lose your life. You're going to lose your testimony. You're going to lose your joy. Very subtly, the enemy tries to work into our lives. Uh, John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what thieves do. Thieves don't announce when they're coming. They come at the time when we're not expecting them. They always come very quietly. And that's the way Satan tries to enter our lives. And that's the way he sought to enter uh, Adam and Eve's wives. Even though that it's always God, as God intended. Everything was perfect. They were just enjoying God. They were enjoying worshiping with God. Verse 25 of chapter 2 says they were both naked, the man and his wife. And they were not ashamed. Uh, that's the way they were. Uh, they, they had no clothes on, and there was no shame about that because something's going to take place in chapter 3 that's going to bring shame. The body parts that God gave them that they were to be the most proud of, by which they would be uh, fulfilling God's uh, mission for them and being fruitful and multiplying, there was no shame. That may be hard for us to understand on the other side, but you've got to see that that's what sin brought. And so they were just moving around that's how they came it was when God created them. So they had no clothing, and they were serving God, they were walking with God, and they were worshiping God. But then very subtly, Satan entered into their lives. And he began to question God's word, verse 1. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He began to try to trip Eve up to make her really question what it was that God had said. And so remember, he roams about like a lion. First uh, Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, seeking whom he may devour. That's what his will is. Again, John 10, 10, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so he came to Eve, verse 2 says, and the woman responded to the serpent, we, meet, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit that is of the tree, verse 3, in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it. But notice something that she did here. She added to God's word. She said, neither shall you touch it. And that was a good common sense uh, you know, boundary for them to have 
in their lives. But that's not what God had said. God said you're not to eat of it. That's a great boundary that they had. But she began to put her boundary, her tradition, on par with the authority of God's Word. Don't you listen to me. When you begin to create traditions and opinions that you put on par and equal with the authority of God's Word, then you at any time, friend, can begin to take away from the Word. If you've added to it, then you can take away from it in the same sense. Because then you think, well, if I've got the power to add to God's Word, then I've got the power to take away what's not convenient and to look away from it. And so she added to God's Word. And then there was just a complete denial of God's Word. Look at verse number 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Well, God had said that you would in verse 17 of chapter 2. And friend, if that's what God says, then that's what's going to happen. But Satan tries to cause us to not have faith in God's Word and to deny the truth of God's Word. And so she walked past a clear command and she yielded to sin. Look at verse 5. It says, For God knows, this is Satan speaking to Eve, that God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, verse 6, and it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise, she took of it and she ate. And so she was tempted, the Bible says, on the three fold front. First John chapter 2 verse 16 explains them as lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Look again at verse number 6. She saw that it was good for food. She saw that it was going to be good to eat. And this was lust of the flesh. She, she saw the tree in the midst of the garden. Whatever the fruit was, I know what cartoons and traditions say. It was an apple fruit. We don't know what it was. But it was a fruit of some kind. And she looked at it and she saw it in something within her flesh, even though God had said You've got all the other fruit from the North Pole to the South Pole that you can eat. But this one tree that produces this one fruit, you can't eat of it. And she began to stare at it and to look at it. And pulsing within her, her ears and in the sound of her mind was Satan saying, you're not going to die. Don't, don't believe what God says. And literally what he's saying is this, God's holding out on you. He's given you North Pole to the South Pole, but there's this one tree that you can't eat from, and God's holding out on you. There's something good that God's keeping from you. And she began to look at that rather than seeing, friend, no, there's something good that God's keeping me from. He's trying to keep me from something harmful. He's trying, the, the side of the fence that I'm on, it's good. Where God's trying to keep me is good. It's in His blessing, it's in His will, it's in life, and it's life more abundantly. But Satan was saying, no, it's on the other side of the fence that you're going to find happiness. You need to go take of that fruit, and you need to eat it. And so she began to look away from the will of God, and she began to look away from the Word of God, and she began to look on what was forbidden, and something within her flesh began to stir. There was a tingling. There was a desire. She said, I, it, it, it looks so good. That's, that's going to taste so good. When I take that and I sink my teeth into it, I'm going to be experiencing something that God's keeping from me. My life's going to be better because I eat from that. And that's the lust of the flesh. But not only that, it was the lust of the eye. It was pleasant to behold. There was something just about its appearance. Push away the tasting and the, the internalizing of the flavor. And, and eating it and becoming one with it, there was something that just, just staring at it began to stir her and began to, to move within her flesh. And it just it made her feel good to watch it and to behold it. And then there was the pride of life. She believed what Satan had to say, that when I eat this, I'm going to be just like God. Literally, there's nothing, there's nothing that's withheld from God. There's nothing that's going to be withheld from me. I'm going to be God of my life. And what it comes down to is this. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody. Friend, that's, that's a spiritual issue. It all comes down to lordship. Who's going to be lord over your life? And remember, if Jesus isn't lord over every area of your life, he's lord over nothing. And he said, begin to begin their mind think and say, who's, who's God to tell me that I can't eat of this fruit? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I want to. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Right down beside that verse, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Where John says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those things are not of the Father. They're not of God. Those things are flesh. Those things that just come... Now listen, 
There's also something else that God gave Adam and Eve. Don't you listen to me? That was free will. They had the choice whether they would honor God, they would serve God, and whether they would obey His word. And now Eve was faced with this decision. As she saw that it was good for food, as she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, it made her tingle, and she saw that it was desirable to make one wise, and she took its fruit, and she ate, and she gave to her husband with her. And he ate also. Paul says they, they willingly ate. And because of that, Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, they're without excuse. No excuse. And they're going to try to make excuses, but, but, but there was none. And see, sin had promised much, but now it's delivered little. They, they walk clearly past the Word of God. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. God said, don't eat it. And it was wise, friend, to have safeguards. And it was wise to have boundaries. It was a wise thing not to look at it. It was a wise thing not to be near it. It was wise to put up fences around it. But God said, don't eat of it. And they crossed the fence of his word, and they did it. And now, friend, the Bible says that the eyes of them, verse number 7, are opened, and they knew that they were naked. Now something's changed. Now there's shame in their life. Now because they're naked, they begin to hide themselves. The Bible says they knew that they were naked, but they did something else. Look at verse number 7. The Bible says they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves coverings. Now their nakedness represents the shame of their sin. And they know they've got to hide that shame. Now, now there's not the joy that there once was. Now they're not giddy about staring at it and tasting it. And now they don't want to be wise. Now they wish they had never tasted of that fruit. Something's changed. How can they hide the nakedness of their sin? And the Bible says in verse number 7, look at it. They began to knit together and sew fig leaves together to make aprons, to make coverings. Can you imagine that? Friend, it's hard enough to sew thread, I mean, patches of fabric together with a needle and thread. And here they are trying to weave together fig leaves with stems and grass and twigs and pine needles. We don't know what they had. But here they are trying to knit that, just the, 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 the futileness of trying to do that to hide the shame of their sin. But notice this, friend. Adam was sure guilty. There was sure guilt. Adam and Eve now had both sinned. And Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, because of that, they were without excuse. Number two, I want you to notice now, not only Adam's sure guilt, but God's saving grace. God's saving grace. Verse 8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This, this must have been, the text yields itself, a regular occurrence that every day, remember, worship is simply, you know, worship, if, if you say, if I was to ask you, you know, we're to hand out pieces of paper, what's, what's the one word that comes to your mind uh, when I say worship, I say write down a piece of paper, I would dare say that the vast majority of you write down music or song. That's what you're singing. You know, that's, that's, that's worship. That's what you hear in church. You know, we're going we're gonna to have preaching, there'll be a worship service, there'll be a time of worship. But friend, remember, worship is not just about singing or praying. Or really, really, the, the, one of the greatest definitions of worship is simply this, just enjoying the presence of God. Enjoying the presence of God. And one of the greatest ways to do that, friend, is to walk out His Word. To obey it. Just whatever His Word is, is to walk it out. To be a doer of His Word. And so God came down daily and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day just enjoying His creation, them enjoying their Heavenly Father, spending time in fellowship together and in worship. And just the, the cool of the day, how wonderful that must have been. But Adam and his wife, something's happened. Look at verse 8. Now they're hiding themselves from the presence of God. Where they would have run to God, now they're hiding from God. Now they know there's a problem. Where they used to be, you know, like... Kids that ran to see their parents or children that run to see their grandparents that they haven't seen in a while. Now they're hiding. Where it had once been a joyous experience to come into the presence of God, now there's shame. Now there's burden. Now they're, they're hiding themselves. But notice the, the silliness of this, friend. They're hiding themselves from the presence of an all-seeing, all-knowing God. God saw where they were. He already knew what had happened when He came. 
you know as a parent or a grandparent or if you've been involved in any kind of child care, sometimes you have no idea what's going to be behind the door when you come home. But you walk through the door, and you're like, all right, who did it? How did it get broken? What happened? How did this happen? What, what happened? If you've got an animal, you know, you, you come in, you come into the basement, and your favorite coat or pair of shoes is just shredded in two. And you're like, what'd you do? What have you done? Well, you didn't know that was going to happen. Friend, listen, when God came to find Adam and Eve, he wasn't coming to find them. He already knew where they were. He already knew what had happened. I'm going to blow your mind. Listen, before God said, let there be, he already knew what Adam and Eve were going to do. He knew all of these things. But in his love and his mercy and his grace, he continued on with his plan of creation. And so the futility, and that's why I'm telling this morning, friend, listen, you think you've got a secret sin that your spouse or one of your friends knows nothing about, friend, they may not, but I want to tell you something. You're not hiding it from God. As we preached last week, God sees the real you. He knows who you are. He sees past the facade. He sees what you're hiding. He sees into the deepest, darkest parts of your heart and your life. And so there they were, hiding themselves from God. In verse number 9, notice the power of this verse. And the Lord called out to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? God knew where he was. But Adam needed to think about where he was. Now, now picture this. He's hunkered down in the bushes with his wife, trying to sew together a fig leaf apron, which as he's hunkered down, has already probably cracked and fell apart. Now he's naked again. He's trying to scramble to put it back together and to hide himself. His mind is just racing with what has happened. Things were great. Now things are bad. The shame, the burden. Here God's voice is. Adam needed to reflect exactly what had brought him to where he was and now who he was. And the situation that was in his life, there was no way to gloss over this or to put it away. Change had taken place. Terrible change. And so verse number 10, he said, I, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Well, there had never been fear before. Now, why was there fear? Because he had disobeyed God. He knew. It's the tree of of the garden, you shall not eat of it. For the day you eat of it, you will surely die. There was going to be a penalty now. And he was afraid and knew that something had changed. He was naked. He had hid himself. Well, verse number 25, they were naked and there was no shame. But now they are, they're still naked and now there is shame. That's what sin does. It brings shame. It brings condemnation. And so the sad truth as God begins to ask a question, verse 11, God said, who told you you were naked? Well, Adam didn't tell Eve, and Eve didn't tell Adam, and the snake didn't tell them. As soon as they sinned, they knew that they were. No one had to tell them. Their sin immediately found them, convicted them, and condemned them. Friend, I want to remind you, Numbers chapter 32 and verse number 23 says, be sure your sin will find you out. It'll find you out. It's just a matter of time. It will happen and you may get away from it on this side of eternity, but you won't in the next. Sin always finds a person. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12 says this. It says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and that's Adam. Everything was fine. There was no sin. But when Adam yielded and he disobeyed God's command, sin entered the world and then death through sin. But listen, the verse continues sadly. And thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. It wasn't just Adam and Eve that began to die at that moment. It wasn't Adam and Eve at that moment that now had a sin nature. Listen, when you and I were born, we received that same sin nature. And because of that, we are dead, the Bible says, in trespasses and sin. And so in order to stand right before a holy God, don't miss this. There has to be change that takes place that only God can bring. Because when God sees us without Christ, He sees us as lost sinners. But what do we do here in the South? Well, we just join the church. You know, we join the church and we think that's going to make it okay. Or we get a Bible. Or, you know, we, we put some Christian symbols on the back of our car. Or, you know, we'll put a big one, a little one, and a little tiny one, or several, to represent all the kids in our family. Put different things on our social media. 
We'll try to be religious. That's what man tries to do, to make things right. But friend, listen, there's only one thing that can change the way that God sees you, and that's to be justified from the penalty of sin. And so God sees every person exactly as they are. He saw Adam and Eve the way that they were, but it's only through Christ. I want you to know, Revelation 20 says, at the end of the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ, after Satan has been cast into hell for all eternity, the Bible speaks of a great white throne. And it's one that Jesus Christ will sit on, friend, not his Savior, but his judge. And the Bible says that all those names who are not found written in the Lamb's book of life, those are men and women who never repented and by faith trusted Christ. Not the ones that joined churches, not the ones that were religious, but the ones who by faith repented and trusted Christ. All of those names, friend, who are not found in the Lamb's book of life, Brother David Moore sharing with me, it's like getting a reservation at a restaurant that you call ahead for. All of those who didn't have a spot in eternity reserved for them, through the payment of Jesus Christ, the Bible says they'll be cast in hell for all eternity because God sees who is and who is not. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus spoke about the wheat and the tares. They both look the same. The wheat's heavier than the tares. And God knows how to sort them out. The wheat will be brought into the storehouse. That's heaven. But the tares will be cast into fire and destroyed. That's hell. That's all the lost people. Jesus spoke about a great dragnet of fish. And God's going to go through the dragnet and say, this one's a keeper, this one's not a keeper, this one is a keeper, that one's not a keeper. God sees who is and who isn't. And there's a mixed crowd all the time. And I know in these days, it's the true and the committed that show up to most churches, but even in this crowd this morning, there might be one person who's come here, you've never really been saved. You're religious, you've got Bibles, there's one sitting on your lap. But you know in the depths of your heart you've never really been saved. might be someone who's listening by way of the internet this morning, later in the broadcast. You're religious, but you've never been saved. I'm telling you, God sees the real you. He sees you. And you may fool a lot of people on this side of eternity. Adam and Eve didn't fool God, and friend, you won't either. One day you will be sorted out, and only those that are saved will go into eternity with Jesus. And those that are lost will spend eternity in a place called hell with the devil in all his demons. Don't, don't, don't walk past God's saving grace. God knows who is and who isn't, who has received and who hasn't. Well, look at this in verse 12. It's sad, but it's almost comical, but it's, it's sad. God asked, you know, who told you that you were naked? Verse 11, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? And the man said, well, it's the woman that you gave to be with me. She, she gave me from the tree an idea. It's her fault. If you'd have never made this woman, everything would have been fine. Remember, it's just great. It's just me and you and all the animals. And you made the woman. Now we've got this problem. And so Eve said, well, I mean, it's, it's not my fault. The Lord God looked at the woman. Verse 13 says, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So Eve blamed, Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the snake, and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. It was, but the seriousness, friend, is this, sin had entered the world. And everybody tried to pass the buck, and that's, that's the world that we're living. Listen, it is America, the land of the offended. And every problem that someone has in life, it's always someone else's fault. It's a dysfunctional background. School system, why teachers didn't treat me right. The water had too much fluoride or not enough. There's always something. Why don't you listen to me this morning? If you sin, it's nobody's fault but yours. If you die and go to hell, it's no one's fault but yours. God has done everything short of violating your free will to save you and to redeem you from sin's penalty. He's done that. Look what he did for Adam and Eve. Though they surely deserved judgment. Verse 17, again of chapter 2. The tree of knowledge and good and evil in the midst of you shall not eat of it. For the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And they did. At that very moment, Adam and Eve died spiritually. And physically they began to decay. Their bodies changed. And there was a hell that was waiting for them if it were not for God's grace. Look what the Bible says in verse number 15. This is the first promise of the cross. 
This is the first promise of what God would do for all mankind. He looked at the snake and said, which was Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's God's promise of his amazing grace. It's the first promise of Christ's coming. It's the promise of Messiah. Look again at verse number 15. He says, I put empty between your seed and her seed, not Joseph's seed, not man's seed. He was speaking of the virgin birth. He didn't say anything about Joseph. He was talking about the seed of a woman. He'll bruise your head. You're going to strike at his heel and you're going to bruise him. But ultimately, he will destroy you. And so God would bypass the sin nature of man so that Jesus Christ could come and that he could die for our sins. And that's what he came to do. That's what Christmas is all about. The little baby that was born in Bethlehem on Christmas morning, he was born so that he might grow and that those little tiny hands might one day be nailed to an old rugged cross, that he might die. And that was God's grace. That was God's grace. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 20 says this, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Adam and Eve, were, they, they were worthy of death. And friend, listen, don't forget this. You say this to yourselves, so am I. And so are you. So are you. Don't ever tell God, I just, I just want what's coming to me. Here people say, I want what's coming. Friend, you better pray God never gives you what's coming to you. Because I'll tell you what's coming to us. It's an eternity in a place called hell. But because of grace, we're able to experience His unmerited favor. Because of His mercy extended to us at Calvary. And so it's the promise of God's saving grace. But I also want you to notice this morning, Jesus' selfless giving. Jesus' selfless giving. Move up to verse number 21 of Genesis chapter 3. We see this promise God made, but now he meets a need that they had in his life. Now remember, when God finds them, where are they and what are they doing? They're hunkered down, hiding from the all-seeing, all-knowing God. They're trying to knit together, don't miss this, in their own human effort. They're trying to hide the shame of their sin. They're trying to knit together these things, just scrambling, trying to hide. Can't let anybody see. Can't let anybody find out. Everything's going to be okay. I remember when my brother and I were young. My parents are listening. They'll probably laugh at this. Uh, but my mom and dad had a king-size bed with a headboard that went up at an angle, and it dipped down, and there was a, it almost looked like a, a lampstand coming up out of the middle of it, something somebody had spun on a lathe. And it was right there in the middle. My mom and dad had gone somewhere. Uh, we were way on up in elementary school. But, you know, we loved watching professional wrestling on Saturday. Back when it was real. You remember what I'm talking back in the... And so, one of us decided, I think it was me, to leap off of the headboard and drop kick my brother. We would use my mom and dad's bed as a wrestling ring. And I hit that center post with my foot, and I broke it. Well, I did what any child does. I ran for the Elmer's glue as quick as I could. And I tried to glue it, and I even got a couple finishing nails and tried to nail down in there. I just knew mother and daddy would never see it. Well, they saw it as soon as they got home. It didn't look anything. There I was, listen, trying to hide, to cover it up. Nobody's going to see, nobody's going to know, everything's going to be fine. And inside them, we were terrified. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? That's what people try to do with their sin. They're just like Adam and Eve. If I put on this good face, this good facade, if I make everything okay, if I just tell everybody everything's okay, everything's okay, it's going to be okay. It's not okay. Because only Jesus Christ can make you whole again. And so that's what Adam and Eve were doing. But God had to do something for them that they couldn't do for themselves. Verse number 21. And so Adam and Eve, Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's the book of firsts. And so here's the first sacrifice that ever happened in human history. Verse 21 says, And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin. 
Where did he get the skin? He didn't go down to the tanner's house. An animal had to die. God had to take one of his creation, one of his animals, and he had to kill that. And, and, the, and Adam and Eve had to see something that to this point they'd never seen, and that's blood. Leviticus 17, 11 says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And they had to watch that animal gurgle and gasp for its last breath. They'd sit there and say, that animal's, having that, that animal's dying because of us. Because God's going to take that skin and he's going to make tunics, the Bible says. Look at verse 21. And for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin. And he clothed them in a way that they could not clothe themselves. They were trying to hide the shame of their sin in human effort. And they never could. But God had to hide the shame of their sin in a way that would be lasting and would work. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That animal had to die that God could make for them a new set of clothes. That's why the Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians chapter 4, beginning to read in verse number 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under a law, that we might receive the adoptions of Son. Paul speaks about... When Jesus came, it was the fullness of time. The fullness of time. 4,000 years, friend, passed between Genesis 3.15 and on that beautiful morning there in Bethlehem when Mary gave birth. Every Jewish woman from Abraham on, from Sarah onward, had to wonder, is this the promise? Is this the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15? Is this the one? But in the fullness of time, Christ came. Friend, that ought to be an encouragement to us today. As wicked and as broken as the world is, when's Jesus going to come again for his church? Right on time. In the fullness of time, not a second before, not a second after. And we can rest in that, and we can have faith. Paul also speaks about how he came. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. That's what he said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Her seed. And Jesus came, born of a virgin. And I know several weeks ago we spent a lot of time talking about this in Hebrews chapter 10. But don't look past the virgin birth at Christmas. If Christ had been born as a result of a healthy marriage between Joseph and Mary, he'd have a sin nature just like me and you. Just like us. Born of a woman, not born of a man. Under the law, why? Why did he come? It speaks of when he came, how he came, but why he came. To redeem those who were under the law. What does the law say? The soul that sinneth shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. The tree of knowledge in the midst of good and evil in the midst of the garden, you shall not die for the day that waits thou You'll surely die. Death is the penalty for sin. But God needs grace. Sent Jesus. And he, through his selfless giving, he came. And this was a fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 52 says that from that time, Jesus began to grow in wisdom and stature. He just developed. And so for 30 years, he just grew. And he was faithful. But in John chapter 1, verse 29, as John the Baptist, we look Wednesday night, had begun his ministry, and he was baptizing people. Symbolic, spiritually what happens in one's life when they turn away from sin. He was getting the crowd ready for Jesus as he was being faithful to his ministry. One morning, just as he began to leap in his mother's womb, the book of Luke says in chapter 1, when he heard the voice of the mother of Christ come into the room, surely his heart began to leap again. He saw the shadowy figure, figure walking down the banks of the Sea of Galilee. And he began to stir within his heart. And he says, man, that's That's him. He says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus Christ, friend, would be nailed to a cross. He would die in agony and shame. Just like that animal died in the Garden of Eden. That God could clothe Adam and Eve in a way that they could not clothe themselves. To hide the shame of their sin. Jesus Christ died on an old rugged cross so that you and I might be clothed in a way that we could be clothed in no other way to hide the shame of our sin. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 13 and verse number 14, listen, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
by faith, turn from sin and repent, and put him on. That means, friend, listen, God won't see your sin anymore, but I've got good news, friend, listen. You can have a new testimony and a new beginning. You can be set free from the condemnation of sin and the penalty of sin. And one of these days, friend, we have the promise that we're going to be set free from the presence of sin. We're going to be shell out of this world. We're never going to have to deal with sin again. But it's only through and by Jesus' selfless giving that we can experience that. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, The wages of sin is death, but the gift, the amazing, gracious, selfless gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's only through Christ that you can experience that. You can have forgiveness from sin. You can have life, spiritual life, because you're born spiritually dead. But you can have life more abundantly. Remember, Satan said it's only by yielding and crossing God's Word that you can really find life. No, friend, they lost life. And I'm here to tell you, friend, it's only by being a complete, sold-out, all-in follower of Jesus Christ that you can have life more abundantly. You know, shopping's been different this year. I mean, I mean some people just have plowed on the head, but I haven't. That we've, there's a name that we've learned more during these past nine or ten months than we ever knew, and that's Amazon. And I'm not talking about we didn't go to Brazil, but that's where we did all our shopping this year, on Amazon. Looked for it, shopped in my pajamas, hit by now, it all came to the front door. But shopping's been different. Giving will be different this year. You know, how we get around our families, and it's, it's going to be different. No matter what you do, it's going to be different. But I found a website I was looking at. It's called giftcanyon.com. It's an interesting little website. Uh, it offers various gifts and lists and tips, tips on wrapping, how to present gifts, things maybe you never even thought about before. So if you're just struggling, you know, how to get somebody a gift, it's got lists of different, you know, this would be a good gift for your dad, this would be a good gift for your wife. You know, and again, we've only got five days, you better get after it, boys, all right? As my son says all the time, happy wife, happy life, all right? So you better make sure. Okay, five days. So giftcanyon.com may be able to help you out with the, the, the right gift to find. But I found this was very interesting. There's even a section on that website of how to refuse a gift and how to return a gift without defending or hurting the person's feelings that gave it to you. They had several things there about things you could say, how you could respond. I mean, even if you think it's just the most horrible thing in the world, how you can respond, you know, and not just break the person into pieces when they, when they give you that. And how you, can, how you can return it. And so, I want you to know, listen to me. You may get a gift this Christmas that you may not want or that you don't, you don't really need. Uh, but I want to tell you something this morning. Listen to me. If you've never received Jesus Christ, you need the gift that God offers. You may not think you do. You may have been told by someone that you don't. But I'm telling you, on the authority of God's Word, you need the gift that God offers in Jesus Christ. And while you can exchange, you know, a pair of socks that someone gives you or a pair of bedroom shoes or something you really don't want or you don't need for something else, you can't exchange Jesus Christ. There's only one gift that God's given, and that's His Son. And you can return gifts. You can even refuse gifts this Christmas. I want you to listen to me. You can't return or exchange Jesus Christ. There's only two things you can do with Him. You can receive Him or you can reject Him. And there's no in-between. To not receive him is to reject him. And I've been in ministry long enough to talk to people. Says, I'm, listen, I'm not saying no to being saved. I'm just not saying yes right now. I want you to listen to me and listen to me online. To not say yes to Jesus Christ is to say no to him. There's only two choices. You receive him or you reject him. If you receive him by faith, turning from your sin, friend, he will clothe you. He will hide the rags of your shame and your sinfulness, and you will be clothed in His righteousness. You put Him on by faith, just like the Apostle Paul says, and God won't see your nakedness anymore, friend. He'll only see the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
It's the most important decision that you're ever going to make. And it's the greatest thing that God has ever done for mankind. It's the giving of His Son. And it's what Christmas is all about. And so the family gathering may not be as big as it was last year. And I want you to know something. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You may not be able to crawl up in Santa's lap the way you did last year. It's going to be okay. Christmas may be different this year, but it's going to be okay. But friend, as long as every day is Christmas because we wake up, we have the opportunity to place God's Word in our lap and to bow our heads and just every day freshen and to say, God, as this day starts, I just want to say thank you for saving my wretched soul. Though I was undeserving, God stood in the nakedness of my sin. You sent your son. You loved me. And you sent your son to die in my place, God. It doesn't matter what Christmas is like this year. I want to worship you for what Christmas is really all about. And it's the giving of your son. So there's no room for bitterness. There's no room for holiday blues and depression. Because I can worship God and thank him for what Christmas is really all about. It's about the giving of the perfect gift, Jesus Christ. Have you received that perfect gift? Have you? Have you? If you haven't, do it right now. He won't violate your free will. You've got to choose to repent and trust Him. But it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, how far in sin you've sunk, friend. God will save you, and He'll clothe you today if you'll only turn and trust Him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I pray in these moments that we'll not mentally check out. But God, even your church will begin to pray now for the lost that are around them, the lost that are listening, the lost who are going to listen to this later. Just pray that your spirit will overwhelm them with the reality that is their spiritual life right now, that they're dead and trespasses to sin. They stand naked before you in the shame of their sin. But in reach today, is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that can clothe them and give them a fresh new start if they'll only turn and receive Him. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if, that, if that's you, if that's someone listening, that's you, just tell God right now, friend, that you want to receive Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, that you're going to turn from all the sin, you're going to turn from all the shame, and by faith you're going to trust Jesus. What he did on the cross is a payment for your sins and that you want him to come be Lord of your life, to cover every part of you. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So do that right now. Hear someone listening online, just the quietness of your heart. Pray a prayer just like this. Dear God, though I stand naked before you in my sin and I've tried everything to hide it. I've tried being religious I've tried other religions. I've tried drugs. I've tried alcohol. I've tried relationships to find happiness and joy. I've sought joy in money, accolades. I've got to be honest, all those things have left me still empty and naked where I stand. Today from your word, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, through your word today I see my need for Jesus Christ to be Lord of my life. So this is my decision. I want to turn from sin. I forsake it. Forgive me. And by faith, I'm trusting Jesus to be Lord of my life. By faith, I'm putting him on. Hide and clothe the shame of my sin. I want to stand before you whole. That's my prayer today. If you prayed that prayer here, Brother Brian's going to be over here to your left to pray with you this morning. As they begin to sing in just a moment, won't you stand and make your way over? If you prayed that prayer, you've trusted Christ today, you're listening by way of the internet, won't you email us or call us here at the office so that we can come alongside you and encourage you in that decision? Church family, I want to ask you, you know, it's, it's a joy to be able to say, I know, I know that I'm saved. I remember the day that I put on Jesus Christ by faith. But are you still sharing that gift? You know, I've got to be honest, there's some gifts that I've been given for Christmas over the years. I can't even remember what they were. I don't even know where, I've got some gifts I probably got last year. I don't even know where they're at now. They're in a box or in a drawer somewhere in the house. I don't think about them. I'm not appreciative for them each day. Do you know that can happen with the greatest gift you've ever been given? 
you can get over what God has done for you. Friend, the way you show God that you don't get over and you've never gotten over what Jesus has done for you, what he's done for you, is that you tell others about that gift. You share that gift. That's what Christmas is all about. The shepherds had to go tell somebody what they'd seen and what they had heard. And that's what God's called the church to do in these days, is to invite people to put on Jesus Christ. Ask God to forgive you today if you've gotten over the wonder, the wonder of what Christmas is really all about. Father, thank you again that while we were yet sinners, you sent Christ to die in our place. God, I pray for every spiritual need that is represented in this place today, in the hearts and lives of those that are listening. In this time of invitation, God, as we extend an invitation on your behalf, we're asking, God, what we believe by faith you would ask today, and that's sinners to turn and trust you, for Christians who need revival to be revived and renewed to get excited again about what Christ has done in their life and to be faithful going and telling and inviting others to put on Jesus Christ. You give the invitation, Holy Spirit. You do the work only you can do. Might we be found faithful as we respond to your will now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If you need to make a decision, you need someone to pray with, you step out right now. out and come. Every road I travel down, you have walked before me. You made the light to shine out of the darkness. I'm looking for the day when I bow before you and lay my crowns at your that's a reality in your life today. Friend, if it's not, don't leave this place. Even if you're saved, friend, you can turn away from the Lord.